This episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast is brought to you by Outbound Squad, formerly Blissful Prospecting, hosted by Jason Bay. It's brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. Jason Bay is a leading sales expert, and he talks with other leading sales experts to get you the information you need. I've recent episode, he talked about how much time you need to spend prospecting really really eye-opening. Check it out. Uh, listen to the Outbound Squad wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jantz and my guest today is Melanie Diesel. She's a keynote speaker, award-winning branded content creator, and the author of Two books of the Content Fuel Framework, How to Generate Unlimited Story Ideas, and a new book we're going to talk about today, Prove It, Exactly How Modern Marketers Earn Trust. So, Melanie, welcome to the show. Hey, it's good to be here. Your camera's moving around. You're bouncing around I know. there. I was so excited. I bumped into it. <laughs> <laughs> so, I have to say this, not all listeners have ever done interviews or had podcast guests, but you know, I've done thousands of them. And I have to say your background info and topic sheet that you provided was one of the best ones I've ever seen. Mainly because it gave me like all kinds of off topic stuff, you stuff about you stuff you didn't want to talk about. So we're just going to dive right into the stuff you don't want to talk about. Okay. <laughs> you know, I try, I always say I try to be the easiest guest to work with because I know it's a lot of work to produce a podcast. You got a lot of homework you got to do on the guests. So I feel like giving you all the links in the background kind of helps make that easier. Yeah. So now I'm just going to, you put me on my soapbox now. So I'm also a guest on a lot of shows and I, you know, always hate those ones where somebody asks me to be a guest and then wants me to write the show for them. <laughs> you know? I'm sure you've That's done that too. same thing. Yeah. I'm like, and I'm sure, you know, you are a true journalist or journalist background. And that, you know, I, that's where I come from as well. And I think, yeah. you know, you're supposed to write the interview. <laughs> it's called that's journalism. Right. <laughs> so I'm sorry, I'm wasting all of your time here no. <laughs> talking about my pet peeves. So, <laughs> The subtitle of the book is exactly how modern marketers earn trust. So let's just talk about trust first off. You know, where does that fit into the marketing journey today as an intentional action? I guess both from the buyer's standpoint and maybe from the marketer's point of view too. Yeah. So the reason we went with trust as the underpinning of the book is that we're sort of looking at, you know, the, all the different KPIs that everybody is optimizing for, you know, whether you're looking for sales or downloads or purchases, whatever the case may be, this realization that trust comes before any of those things, right? Like we don't typically subscribe to accounts or, you know, social profiles that we feel are maybe a little suspect. We don't enter our card information on a website that we feel might not be trustworthy. We don't hire and work with people that we don't think we can, you know, can trust with our data right. or our business. And so it's this realization that, you know, if trust comes first, then how can we optimize the other marketing activities that we're doing? And, you know, namely content being my background, how do we optimize that with the goal of earning trust in mind in a way that's going to allow the rest of those KPIs to just kind of waterfall and come from that? Is there sort of like a different height hurdle, so to speak? I mean, if you're selling a $59 product, couple reviews might do it. But if you're selling a $10,000 coaching program, for example, you know, isn't trust like the most important element? So yeah, I think there's, there's a couple of factors that go into it to create 
these different tiers. So the first one would be the price point, which you mentioned. Yeah, obviously, you know, I always say we all do a little bit more shopping around for expertise. If we're getting, you know, a medical procedure than we do for a loaf of bread, there's, you know, there's the price as well as the stakes, right? Some things are just the cost of making the wrong decision is so much higher. That's true in like the B2B space, any heavily regulated industry. You know, if you're working in finance and insurance and technology, you know, there's a big risk factor there. So we tend to see that trust becomes more important in, again, those high ticket purchases like a vehicle or, you know, a house or something, as well as that that is really like the big important decisions in life that have potential major fallout. We definitely see that trust is going to be even more important in those scenarios. But I mean, I think, honestly, I do think it trickles down at least on some level. I think we've probably all had the experience of you're at like a discount store of some kind, a dollar store or something like that. And you see a product on the shelf and you're like, I know it's clearly this is a knockoff of something that I usually buy, but I'm just not sure that's going to cut it. Right. Like, even though it's maybe you know, zip up plastic snack bags. You're like, those just probably aren't going to stay shut, you know, or that tape is probably not going to stick as well. So I think even in those small purchases, there's that sort of unspoken quality of like, does this look trustworthy? Is this something I can believe? Yeah. You know, what's interesting I found at least is, I mean, every purchase involves some risk. Every decision to move forward involves some risk, right? And what I have found is trust does two things. It lowers the risk for a lot of people, or at least in their mind, right? And when you lower the risk, you can actually raise the price because somebody is like, oh, I know this one's going to work. I'll pay more. I know this yeah. is going to be a good experience. I'll pay more. Or I trust that this will be a better experience. I'll pay more. So do, do you find that there's that direct correlation? If something is more trustworthy, people are willing to pay more. A hundred percent. I think it depends too on what it is that they're trusting you for. So uh, one of the things we talk about in the book is like commitment claims where brands will claim to be sustainable or, you know, they have a commitment to equal pay or the environment or, you know, whatever they're committed to on a values basis. And consumers are often like very often willing to pay more if they feel like they're supporting a cause that's important to them. It's why you often see that the green or, you know, lower carbon footprint or more sustainable recycling whatever it is, version of products tends to be a little more expensive. But because people feel like this is a value that's important to me and I'm supporting that, I'm willing to make that extra payout. And I think we see that for a lot of different things, but particularly for commitment values where it's like aligning my identity with something that this brand is committed to, definitely willing to open the wallets there. You know, essentially, the if I want to boil the book down to about what's it? Five words. Don't tell it, show it. I mean, it, you know, when people talk about trust, I mean, it's like, no, trust me, Melanie, really, you can trust me. Right. I mean, that doesn't go very far. So talk a little bit about that aspect of what you're suggesting. Yeah, hundred percent. Well, that, that comes from the journalism background, which I'm sure that you were indoctrinated with that as well. Right. We're always told it's not our job to tell the audience what to think or, you know, what to do or how to feel about something. It's our job to show them what's going on and let them make a decision. So I feel like adopting that mindset from a marketing standpoint of saying, well, I could tell my audience that I deliver results. I could tell my audience that it's a sustainable product. I could tell my audience all of these things, but how could I go one step further? How could I show them instead? How can I demonstrate it? How can I, you know, corroborate that claim? How can I find additional ways to back it up so that it's not just, you know, take my word for it because consumers don't, they just don't trust us, you know? 
You started to allude to this, but I'll kind of bring out the numbers and let you walk through them. You, in the book, talk about three kinds of content that work well as evidence. So we've been talking about trust, but I guess before we get too much farther here, talk about the use of the word evidence as part of what you're suggesting. Yeah. So we use, I use sort of like a light legal theme throughout the book kind of sprinkled throughout, because I think we're all familiar with, you know, some of the catchphrases of like TV courtroom dramas and things like that. <laughs> and, you know, there's always this idea, you've got to bring the evidence, like where's the evidence, right? And right. you're trying to convince a judge or jury, whoever that is, your consumers, you know, a buyer of mm -hmm. something to make the decision you want them to make. So it is very similar to being sort of a lawyer in that, in that sense, right? And so the idea with evidence is we're making these claims and it's our job to produce the evidence that helps our audience come to the right conclusion, you know, make the right verdict that they can trust us. And I think that mindset shift of thinking of yourself as that being your mission, like I have to win over a skeptical audience to, to pick the verdict that I think is right. I think that kind of mindset shift is helpful because it kind of just points you toward understanding like i need to look for evidence in all the different places where it may be you know if you think of a courtroom drama there's always you've got the human folks coming in that's the corroboration you bring the demonstration you know photos or videos or you know those kinds of things and then you bring in experts who can educate the audience because what well, you know the average jury doesn't know anything about blood spatter patterns or you know whatever else you know evidence you're bringing in and they hope you don't either right that's true right well and hopefully you know hopefully none of our marketing involves blood spatter patterns, but hopefully the correlation is making sense there. That's really what we're trying to do. We're trying to back up our claims with experts and witnesses. We're trying to demonstrate all of that through stories and documentation. And then we're trying to educate the audience, you know, coach them and help them understand the information so that they can then come to that conclusion. Are you an agency owner, consultant, or coach that works with business owners? Then I want to talk to you about adding a new revenue stream to your business that will completely change how you work with clients. For the first time ever, you can license and use the duct tape marketing system and methodology in your business through an upcoming three-day virtual workshop. Give us three days and you'll walk away with a complete system that changes how you think about your agency's growth. The duct tape marketing system is a turnkey set of processes for installing a marketing system that starts with strategy and moves to long-term retainer implementation engagements. We've developed this system by successfully working with thousands of businesses. Now you can bring it to your agency and benefit from all the tools, templates, systems, and processes we've developed. To find out when our next workshop is being held, visit dtm.world slash workshop. That's dtm.world slash workshop. So I got you off course there. I went down the evidence rabbit hole. So let's circle back and say, what are the three types of con content then that work as evidence? Exactly. So that's the corroboration piece that I just alluded okay. to. So content that corroborates includes experts or witnesses. So experts are authorities on whatever it is that you're claiming. So, you know, if you're making a sustainability claim, for example, well then, I don't know, a researcher in that space, or, you know, if you're talking about rainforest, maybe, you know, someone who oversees the rainforest in that particular area could be an expert for that type of claim. 
witnesses, anytime you're bringing in witnesses into your content, that's going to be the folks who have seen the truth of that claim themselves. So that could be past customers, could be gotcha. uh, testimonials from clients. It could be, you know, if the claim has to do with your employees or your commitment to the community or whatever else, who are the people who can speak to the fact that those claims are true? And that, again, much like in a courtroom, it's your way of saying, you don't have to take my word for it. Take these folks' word for it, right? I've got people to corroborate these claims. So that's the first type. The second one is demonstration. So whereas a corroboration is sort of, you don't take my word for it, you have these folks' word, demonstration is you don't have to take my word for it. See with your own eyes, like you can see it yourself. The best sort of example to, to bring it to mind immediately is every infomercial or like, you know, direct QVC style product, right? Where they have like the side by side showing the two yeah. products doing what they do. And one is clearly better. You don't have to believe me that this product, you know, has more suction and cleans your carpet better. You can see from the dirt left on the other carpet that ours does a better job, right? So you know, bounty, I'm thinking of bounty towels. There you right? go. The, yep. You know, there's another exactly. Great yeah. Or especially like cleaners of all kinds when it's like, you know, the half of a stain treated with one thing and half with the other. So, you know, that may not, that's a little kitschy. It might not be exactly what we want to do with our brand, but the sort of like a B2B equivalent is you often see a demo of a product, right? And that demo is saying, you know, we're telling you this is easy to use, that it has a simple interface here. Let's walk through the product. Let's show you how simple it is. Or those comparison checkmark grids we are all familiar with that are often on a pricing page, right? Here's what you get with them. And here's many more checkmarks of what you get with us. So it's really your way of saying, look, you don't have to take our word for it. Like we're going to show you, we're going to bring it yeah. to you in the form of stories and of some sort of documentation that proves our point. And then did we get the third one? The third one is education. Okay. So this one, we again, we hinted at before, but the education pillar is this like acknowledgement that in many cases, the audience that we are trying to convince doesn't have enough information to make that conclusion at all. So in addition to corroborating our claims and demonstrating our claims, we probably need to provide education around those claims as well. So places where you want to look out for this is anytime that, you know, your buyer may not be your end user. Right. So it may be some executive that's signing off on use of a new software, but the engineers or the project yeah. managers, right, they're going to be the ones using it. So this executive may not know how convenient it is that you integrate with such and such product or that it has this feature or that. So you need to provide that education to help them understand why those claims are important. This is also true if you have like a first time buyer situation. I love to give the example of like first time home buyers or you're buying a wedding dress or, you know, some sort of a hot tub maybe or a boat like someone probably hasn't bought that before doesn't have much experience in purchasing that thing and so they're going to need some context for this claim you've made that it's i don't know that the paint is reflective like is that good or bad like should it be right, reflective right. <laughs> like how does one measure reflectiveness right so kind of you need to provide that background and education to allow them to make sense of your claims in the first place so what are some simple ways that you see? I mean, for example, I see people on websites, you know, as seen in these publications or these, you know, brands that you've heard of or all of our customers. I mean, are those, you know, do those fit into, you know, this prove it category? 
hundred percent. So that's corroboration. And I do think that corroboration is often the easiest one for us to turn to. As long as you're an established yeah. business, then you probably have corroboration that's easily at your fingertips, you know, past clients, or as you said, press mentions, you could do awards that you've won, you know, you can kind of bring in all of that outside proof to say, look, you know, we're telling you we're great. And we're telling you that, you know, this is a famous product, but Hey, look, we've been featured on all of these TV shows or in all of these newspapers. Um, this is something we see a lot with restaurants, you know, if they say like reviewed in the New York Times or books right, often right, say right. like Wall Street Journal bestseller, right? That's the corroboration. Like I'm telling you my book is good, but you don't have to believe me because like the Wall Street Journal said so. So those kinds of things can be really helpful. And again, I think most businesses, as long as it's established and has some sort of history at all, has past clients or, you know, employees or colleagues and partners that you could be calling on to provide some corroboration. And you also talk about certain types of claims that businesses make frequently make that just flat out need proof that nobody's, it's not going to be a, a benefit claim. It's not going to do you any good if, unless you can show proof. What are a couple examples of claims that fit into that category? Yeah. So there's a couple different categories of claims that like most businesses are making in some capacity. So a competence claim would be one of those, right? We're all talking about how we do well at whatever it is we do, right? We're pitching something. We're going to deliver these results. We're going to achieve this outcome, right? That's a competence claim. I know what I'm doing. And those can often be really well corroborated, you know, but again, by past clients or something similar. We also have comparison claims, which we kind of hinted at before. So this is like, how do we stack up to the competition or to other solutions that are available or to not doing anything at all? Like what is, what is our offer in comparison to the others and how do we perform? We talked about commitment claims a little bit early on. And that could be again, commitment to your customers, commitment to your employees, commitment to a value or a cause. Those often need quite a bit of evidence, even more so than some of the others. Again, and because it's so tied to identity. If someone is, you know, they pride themselves on, you know, equal rights or, you know, pay equality or sustainability, like this is something that feels core to their identity and the level of betrayal that comes when, mm -hmm. a, you know, mm -hmm. we've all seen the fallout, right. the PR scandals when supposedly in favor of a particular cause and it comes out that the truth is not so. So those claims definitely need a lot of proof. Uh, the others would be convenience, which, I think convenience claims are actually some of the easiest to prove. When we're talking about convenience claims, that's things like speed, ease of use, mm -hmm. affordability, because most convenience claims can be quantified, which makes them really easy to measure and really easy to prove, right? It either costs less or it costs more. Like there's a number there, right? It's very objective. You know, it's either faster than that or it has a slower timestamp. Like that's pretty objective. So convenience claims tend to be, tend to be pretty, pretty easy to prove, but on the other end of the spectrum, I think are connection claims and connection is really about the, it's the relationship side of things. That's, you know, the, you're not a number, you're a name, the mm. Olive Garden, when you're here, your family, right? That, that idea that they have a deep connection either to their customers or to the, the local community is another common one, like our connection with our community. So those are often a little bit harder to prove if only because there's no officially recognized connection scale that I'm aware of, right? So it's more of more subjective in many cases. And that means you have to rely more on corroboration and storytelling of that connection to try to prove it out. My father-in-law's favorite restaurant was Olive Garden. And I can just tell you that I went to Olive Garden a lot more than I care to, and I didn't feel like family there. Sorry. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What about throwaway claims? Get pitched by the number one XYZ award-winning this <laughs> and leading X globally all the time. 
to me, I don't know, maybe there is some proof behind them, but they just feel like throwaways to me. So that's exactly that. That is a claim without proof. And that's what we are trying to avoid. And that's yeah. honestly, I feel like that's the trap, right? Because it's very easy, particularly if you're, you know, you're writing copy, it's easy to get carried away and just start throwing <laughs> adjectives left and right, you know, best, greatest, whatever. But it creates exactly that feeling that you're talking about. It's that feeling of like, says who, according to who, <laughs> like, how do I know that? And I think that's a natural skepticism that we've seen. It's increasing every year, just getting higher and higher because of the amount of throwaway claims like that, that have no proof whatsoever, people have to default to skepticism. Yeah. And I think it, yeah. it is really an opportunity for marketers that want to stand out and kind of be a step above that to proactively be providing proof of those claims so that you're not giving people that sort of icky, you know, taste yeah. in your mouth left over. <laughs> so what about, I work with a lot of startups and they don't have any case studies. They don't have any testimonials. They really don't have any verifiable evidence that what they do, you know, provides the result that they are promising. How do they kind of walk that line? Yeah. So one of the things I think is that even if you feel like you don't have personally like case studies that you can call on, there are almost always tangential or related case studies. So give you an example, a startup that my husband and I founded late last year is helping small businesses. It was a group buying service marketplace for small businesses. Now that sort of thing didn't exist. So to your point, we couldn't say, here's some successful examples. We were trying to build it. Um, however, we could point to the fact that, you know, associations have for a long time offered discounts mm -hmm. to their members, that a lot of membership you know, perks are really just combining the buying power of their membership and negotiating discounts in response. We could point to GPOs, group purchasing organizations, as an example of this sort of model that worked and pull experts and studies and case studies from those spaces that sort of support the need for, you know, where the gap is. And I think a lot of startups can do something similar. You know, you're telling stories of people who have not had success because your solution didn't exist, or people who would have had success had your yeah. solution existed, or people in similar industries who can say, I wish that this existed for XYZ industry as well. I think that kind of corroboration can actually be super powerful because it's showing the white space. And that business is called The Convoy. Where can people find the, your group yeah. buying business? Theconvoy.com. So if you're a small business, independent business, freelancer, theconvoy.com offers you free of charge discounts on products and services that you need to run your business. Just trying to support those small businesses that keep our country running. So... I appreciate you stopping by the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast again to talk about Prove It. You want to tell people, I know they can find the book anywhere, but you want to tell anywhere else you want to invite people to connect with you? Yeah, well, hey, I always say my home base is my website, storyfuel.co, so .co. Storyfuel is where you'll find information about all the books, where you could buy them, how to work with me. You could find my social links if you want to connect with me online somewhere, and you'll find all that at storyfuel.co. Do you get tripped up on the .co versus .com? I had one website that I really wanted the URL, so I bought this .co, and every time I went there, I typed in .com, no matter what. <laughs> no, I, I don't because it's been so long at this point but yeah it yeah. is always tough you know sometimes at this point in the internet a lot of the good urls are taken you've got to innovate a little bit <laughs> absolutely well mel it was great catching up with you again and hopefully we will see you one of these days soon again out there on the road i hope so thanks for letting me share my story hey and one final thing before you go you know how i talk about marketing strategy strategy before tactics well sometimes it can be hard to understand 
Where you stand in that? What needs to be done with regard to creating a marketing strategy? So we created a free tool for you. It's called the Marketing Strategy Assessment. You can find it at marketingassessment.co, not .com, .co. Check out our free marketing assessment and learn where you are with your strategy today. That's just marketingassessment.co. I'd love to chat with you about the results that you get. Mm -hmm.